This is a When Walls Can Talk network podcast. Dear listeners, before we begin this episode, I want to offer a personal warning. This episode covers the tragic story of the Titanic, a disaster that claimed the lives of over 1,500 people. As we explore the events that unfolded that night, we will be discussing some difficult and emotional topics, including loss, grief, and the final moments of those who perished. While researching and writing this episode, I was confronted for the first time with the overwhelming sadness of this tragedy. However, I also found stories of bravery, resilience, and the enduring human spirit. I hope that by sharing this story with you, we can honor the memory of those who were lost and pay tribute to the heroes who emerged from this tragedy. Please, as always, take care of yourself as we explore this story. And if at any point you feel overwhelmed or need support, please do not hesitate to reach out to a loved one or mental health professional. And most of all, thank you for listening. What if the world we see and experience is just a small fragment of the vast and complex reality that exists beyond our perception? What if there are unseen dimensions, beings, and energies that shape our lives and influence our every decision? And if we were able to tap into those hidden realms, what secrets would we uncover about ourselves and the universe we inhabit? These are the very questions that I seek to answer with each powerful story I delve into on this podcast, hoping to challenge our perceptions and retell stories, both iconic and forgotten, that may provide some answers to these questions. Unlike some of the characters in today's story, I lack the incredible arrogance required to claim I hold the keys to solving these mysteries in their entirety. But what I do possess is the fierce desire to try. So today I turn to likely one of the most famous or infamous events I've ever attempted to cover. The sinking of the RMS Titanic. The Titanic disaster is one of the most tragic events in human history. 
But what do we really know about this infamous shipwreck? How much of what we think we know is based on facts, and how much is simply the product of myth and legend? These questions have haunted me for years as I've delved deeper into the mysteries surrounding this tragic event. I'll be candid with you all. I thought I knew everything there was to know about the Titanic disaster, the stories of heroism and sacrifice, the tales of greed and arrogance, the harrowing accounts of survival and loss. But as I began to dig deeper, I realized that there was so much more I had yet to hear. Stories of passengers whose voices had been lost to time, whose experiences had been relegated to footnotes in the annals of history. Voices that were waiting to be heard, waiting to be given a chance to tell their stories. And so I set out to discover the untold stories of the Titanic, the stories that had been forgotten, ignored, or simply lost to time. The Titanic is one of the most iconic ships in history, known for its grandeur and luxury. It was said to be unsinkable, but on the night of April 14, 1912, tragedy struck. As we all know, the ship famously collided with an iceberg and began to sink. For years, the story of the Titanic has been told and retold in countless books, movies, and documentaries. But what if we could go beyond the well-known facts and dig deeper into the human stories behind the disaster? What if we could hear from the passengers and crew members who lost their lives that night? What if we could challenge the commonly held beliefs about the events that took place and gain a new perspective on this tragedy? As we embark on this journey, I ask you to close your eyes and allow yourself to hear the sounds of the Titanic's engines and feel the chill of the North Atlantic air. We are transported back in time to a moment when the world was changed forever. The Titanic was not just a ship, but a symbol of hope and progress, a vessel that represented the best of human achievement. And yet, on that fateful night, it became a symbol of loss and tragedy, reminder of the fragility of life and the hubris of humanity. The stories of the Titanic's passengers and crew members are as diverse as they are tragic. From the wealthy first-class passengers to the immigrants seeking a new life in America, each person on board had a unique story to tell. And yet many of these stories have been lost to history, overshadowed by the myth and legend that has grown around the Titanic over the years. But what if we could bring those lost voices back to life? What if we could hear from the people who experienced the disaster firsthand and gain a new perspective on what happened that night? We will challenge commonly held beliefs and shed light on the human stories behind the headlines. And most importantly, we will give voice to those lost voices of the Titanic, honoring their memory and ensuring that their voices are never forgotten. As we delve deeper into the history of the Titanic, we will confront the most profound questions of humanity. What does it mean to be alive? How do we cope with loss and tragedy, and how do we find hope in the face of despair? What can we learn from the stories of those who have gone before us, and how can we use those lessons to shape our own lives and the world around us? Let us embark on this journey through time and into the depths of the Titanic secrets, May this journey serve as a reminder that history is not just a collection of dates and events, 
but a tapestry woven from the lives of those who lived before us. And may we move forward with hope and compassion in our hearts, ever mindful of the lessons that the past can teach us. And so, let us begin this voyage with the Titanic and see where the winds of fate may take us. Throughout the ages, man has repeated the same earnest saying, more of a question really, or perhaps even a plea, if these walls could talk. But what if they do, and always have? Perhaps their stories, memories, and messages are all around us, if only we would take the moment to listen. On this podcast, we reinvestigate legends and tales of the past and allow the echoes of their lessons to live on once again, informing us, educating us, and sharing new and unique insight into the inner workings of the paranormal and spiritual world. Will you dare to listen? This is When Walls Can Talk, the podcast. Where to begin to tell a tale as iconic as that of the RMS Titanic? I suppose first we should return to the world in which the ship originated. In the year 1900, the world was a vastly different place than it is today. It was a time of immense change, growth, and progress. Industrialization was sweeping across the globe as countries like the United States and Britain experienced unprecedented economic expansion. Meanwhile, colonization and imperialism were at its peak as European powers carved up the globe into spheres of influence and jostled for control over resources and territories. The turn of the century also marked a period of great scientific and technological advancement. The discovery of X-rays, radioactivity, and the first airplane flight were just some of the breakthroughs that were revolutionizing the world. Meanwhile, advances in transportation and communication were making the world feel smaller and more interconnected than ever before. Despite this progress, the world was also marked by great inequalities and injustices. Colonial powers exploited the resources and labor of colonized peoples, while women and minorities were denied basic rights and opportunities. The growing divide between the wealthy elite and the working class was becoming more apparent, leading to social and political unrest. It was against this backdrop of change, progress, and inequality that the Titanic was conceived and ultimately launched. What most people don't realize is that the sinking of the Titanic was not the result of a single catastrophic event, but a sequence of freak occurrences that, if they had happened in isolation, might have been survivable. Yet, as fate would have it, these events conspired to create a perfect storm of tragedy that still resonates to this day. The collision with the iceberg that we all know was only the beginning, or as some might say, the tip of the iceberg. The chain of events that followed was a domino effect of unforeseeable circumstances that led to one of the greatest maritime disasters in history. But as always, 
let's go back to the beginning. The history of the Titanic began in 1907, when the White Star Line, a British shipping company, decided to build three luxurious ocean liners to compete with their rival, Cunard Line. The company enlisted the help of Harland & Wolfe, a shipbuilding company based in Belfast, Northern Ireland, to construct the ships. The Titanic was the second of the three ships to be built, following the completion of the RMS Olympic in 1911. The construction of the Titanic was a massive undertaking that required the efforts of thousands of workers over the course of three years. The ship was built in a massive shipyard that spanned nearly 100 acres and featured several large cranes and docks capable of accommodating multiple ships at once. The Titanic was constructed using a combination of traditional shipbuilding techniques and modern innovations, including the extensive use of electricity, which was still a relatively new technology at the time. The Titanic was designed to be the largest and most luxurious ship of its time, featuring an opulent interior with amenities such as a swimming pool, Turkish bath, gymnasium, and even a squash court. The ship also had several restaurants and cafes, a grand staircase, and a spacious ballroom. Her purpose was to create the most comfortable Atlantic crossing imaginable. Despite its luxurious features, the Titanic was also equipped with the latest safety equipment, including watertight compartments and extensive system of lifeboats. Unfortunately, this system of lifeboats would deem to be extraordinarily inconsequential for the size of her ship. Finally. On May 31st, 1911, the keel of the Titanic was laid, marking the beginning of its official construction. Over the next two years, the ship gradually took shape as its massive hull was fitted with engines, boilers, and the numerous components required for a ship of its size and complexity. On April 2nd, 1912, the Titanic was completed and ready for its maiden voyage across the Atlantic. The Titanic was a massive ship measuring 882 feet and 9 inches in length, but only had a width of 92 feet and 6 inches. If you were to stand her on her end, she would stand nearly as tall as the Empire State Building. She was 175 feet in height, from the keel to the top of the funnels. The ship had a gross tonnage of 46,328 tons and could carry up to 3,547 passengers and crew, the largest passenger ship in the world at the time. Not only that, the Titanic was the largest moving object ever made by man on the surface of the planet in 1912. The Titanic had nine decks, including an upper deck which was the most popular and was open to passengers for recreational purposes. The decks were labeled with letters from A to G, with A being the uppermost deck and G the lowest. Each deck sported various amenities, including cabins, public spaces, dining areas, and a grand staircase that spanned from the top to the bottom of the ship. The Titanic's hull was divided into six compartments by 15 transverse bulkheads, which ran the full width of the ship, making it one of the most technologically advanced vessels of its time. The idea was that if the ship hit an iceberg or suffered some form of damage, the water would be contained in the compartment where the damage occurred, preventing it from flooding other areas of the ship and causing it to sink. Each bulkhead was designed to be watertight, meaning it was supposed to keep water from flowing from one compartment into the other. 
In addition, the lower parts of the bulkheads were fitted with doors that could be closed in the event of flooding, thus further containing the water. These doors were controlled from the ship's bridge, and were intended to close immediately in the event of an emergency. The Titanic's bulkheads were built to withstand even severe damage, as each one was made of steel plates that were up to two inches thick. The design was thought to be so robust that it often was described as unsinkable. However, as we now know, it was a tragic miscalculation. While the bulkheads did slow the flooding of the ship, they were not tall enough to prevent water from spilling over into adjacent compartments. This allowed water to fill multiple compartments at once and ultimately led to the ship sinking. But the effectiveness of these watertight compartments was tested on yet another ship just before the tragic incident of the Titanic, the results of which caused all involved with the Titanic to be overly confident in her abilities. The RMS Olympic was one of the first three massive ocean liners to be built by the White Star Line, and her maiden voyage was in 1911. Like her sister ship, she was a marvel of engineering and technology. But in September 1911, only months after her launch, the Olympic was involved in a tragic accident that would prove to be a crucial test of the Titanic's watertight compartments. The incident occurred when the Olympic collided with the Royal Navy cruiser HMS Hawk in the waters off the Isle of Wight. It was said the two ships were having a bit of a race, trying to outdo each other. However, tragedy struck when the Olympic was unable to steer clear of the Hawk. The Hawk, which was designed as a warship, had a reinforced bow that acted like a battering ram, and it smashed into the side of the Olympic. The collision punched a large hole into the hull of the Olympic, causing water to pour in. However, the Olympic's watertight compartments did their job, and the ship was able to stay afloat long enough for it to make it back to port under her own power. Despite the serious damage to the ship, there were no fatalities or serious injuries reported. The incident at the time was a testament to the effectiveness of these watertight compartments on the Olympic. It was clear that the system worked, and the ship was able to withstand the damage caused by a collision. The incident between the Hawk and the Olympic created a false sense of security about the strength of the Titanic's hull. The fact that the Olympic was able to withstand the collision with the Hawk's ramming reinforced the notion that the Titanic was indestructible. The general belief was that if a warship could pierce the hull and the ship could stay afloat and be repaired, then nothing would be able to sink it. Unfortunately, this belief proved to be fatally misguided, as the Titanic's collision with the iceberg was far more devastating than anyone could have predicted. The Titanic's collision caused a catastrophic failure of the watertight compartments, ultimately leading to the ship's tragic sinking. Captain Edward Smith was a veteran of the seas and was at the helm of the Olympic at the time of the incident, having sailed across the world's oceans for over 40 years. He was the highly respected Commodore within the White Star Line and was given the honor of commanding their newest and most luxurious ships on their maiden voyages. Despite his experience and reputation, he was about to face the biggest challenges of his career, one that would test his leadership and decision-making abilities to their limits. The Olympic incident sent shockwaves through the White Star Line, and despite the damage being repaired, it created a dangerous sense of complacency. 
The company's management was far more concerned with avoiding bad publicity and financial losses than addressing the fundamental design flaws in their ships. The unexpected collision of the Olympic with the HMS Hawk left the White Star Line in a difficult position. The Olympic, their flagship vessel, had sustained extensive damage, and the company faced significant financial losses if the ship could not be repaired quickly. This urgency was exacerbated by the fact that the Olympic had already been fully booked for its upcoming transatlantic crossings. As a result, the Titanic, which was nearing completion at the time, was forced to take a back seat. The White Star Line could not afford to have two of its ships out of commission at the same time, and so the Titanic was left waiting while repairs were made to the Olympic. As a result of the Olympic's accident and subsequent repairs, the Titanic's maiden voyage was delayed by nearly three weeks. This put the Titanic's entrance into service right at the beginning of a period of high ice in the North Atlantic. As winter was coming to a close and the warmer spring temperatures began to melt the ice caps, causing them to drift southward into the shipping lanes. The North Atlantic was known for its treacherous conditions, with unpredictable weather patterns and treacherous ice fields that posed a constant threat to ships making the journey between Europe and North America. Due to the warming effect of the Gulf Stream, the North Atlantic experienced an increase in icebergs in the spring of 1912. Due to the unusually warm weather that year, many icebergs were drifting further south than they would have in a typical year. This meant that the Titanic would have to navigate through more obstacles than usual, which increased the risk of a collision. In a usual April, one could expect to see about 100 to 125 icebergs in the path of a White Star transportation ship, but in 1912, research tells us that over 400 were reported, the worst experienced in over 50 years. In the winter of 1912, Greenland experienced a particularly wet season, with heavier snowfall than usual. As a result of the weight of the snow built up on the ice sheets, it caused them to crack and break free, and these massive icebergs began drifting away from the mainland and into the North Atlantic. This natural phenomenon caused a treacherous obstacle course for ships, as these large icebergs were often hidden below the surface of the water and could cause catastrophic damage to any vessel that collided with them. But one particular iceberg didn't follow the flow of the Gulf Stream with the rest. Instead, it made its way further south and ended up drifting directly into the shipping lanes 400 miles south of Newfoundland. This nearly one million ton, five-story chunk of ice was slowly melting as it floated in the relatively warm waters of the North Atlantic. Icebergs can take on many shapes and sizes, but they all have one thing in common. Only about 10% of their mass is visible above the waterline. The majority of the iceberg's bulk is hidden beneath the surface. One of the most dangerous features of an iceberg is the sharp ridges that can form below the surface of the water. These ridges, called keels, can extend downwards for dozens of feet, making them nearly impossible to see from the surface. If a ship were to collide with an iceberg's keel, it would cause catastrophic damage to the hull, potentially causing the ship to sink quickly. The Titanic's departure on its planned seven-day maiden voyage to New York was a spectacle to behold. 
On the morning of April 10th, 1912, the ship was adorned with flags and bunting, and crowds had gathered at the dock in Southampton to witness the historic event. Families said their goodbyes, tears were shed, and the excitement was palpable in the air. As the ship began to pull away from the dock, cheers and whistles erupted from the crowd, and the sound of the ship's horns echoed across the water. On board, the passengers settled into their luxurious cabins, exploring the ship's many amenities and soaking up the glamour and opulence of the experience. There was a feeling of invincibility, a belief that nothing could stop this magnificent vessel from reaching its destination safely. But as we now know, fate had a different plan, and the tragedy that would unfold in just a few days' time would shake the world and leave an indelible mark on history. On board the Titanic during its maiden voyage were 2,224 people, 1,317 passengers, and 907 crew members. She was planning to arrive at Pier 59 in New York City on April 17, 1912. Given the distance, she only needed to maintain a speed of about 18 knots, or 21 miles per hour, not extraordinarily fast, all things considered. The unfortunate truth is that the Titanic was traveling at an excessive speed, largely due to the captain's desire to arrive in New York ahead of schedule. The ship was carrying some of the most prominent members of modern society, including businessmen, politicians, and celebrities. After all, the captain had a reputation to uphold. Captain Edward Smith, the commander of the Titanic, was known as the Millionaire's Captain due to his reputation for socializing and entertaining the wealthy and elite passengers aboard his ships. Smith was known for his exceptional leadership, calm demeanor, and impeccable manners, which earned him the trust and admiration of the first-class passengers. He was often seen mingling with the wealthy guests, attending their dinners and parties, and personally attending to their needs. His reputation for excellence and his ability to charm the wealthy elite made him a beloved figure among the upper class of society. To arrive behind schedule and face the negative publicity that would come with it was simply unthinkable for him. As a result, the Titanic's engines were pushed to their limits, with the ship steaming ahead at an unprecedented pace. It was a decision that would prove to be catastrophic. The White Star Line had a lot riding on the success of the Titanic's maiden voyage. J. Bruce Ismay, the chairman and managing director of the White Star Line and effectively the owner of the Titanic, was on board for its maiden voyage. Many of the guests on board were personally invited by Ismay to display the success of the company. Ismay had a reputation for being very focused on profits and was determined to make sure that the Titanic was successful, both in terms of its speed and the number of passengers it carried. His presence on the ship put additional pressure on Captain Smith and the crew to deliver a successful voyage. Some of the well-known A-listers on board the Titanic include John Jacob Astor IV, Benjamin Guggenheim, Isidore Strauss, Molly Brown, and George and Edith Vanderbilt. It would be embarrassing to the entire company if these elite members of society were late. But the Titanic wasn't just filled with the rich and famous. It also carried many third-class passengers who were just as important to the White Star Line. These individuals were often immigrants who were seeking a better life in America, and the Titanic was their ticket to a new beginning. 
The White Star Line always recognized the value of these passengers, especially as they made up about 50% of the ship's revenue for the voyage. The third-class accommodations on the Titanic were quite impressive, especially compared to the other ships at the time. The passengers enjoyed spacious bunk rooms, communal bathrooms, and even a dining room where they could eat together. Despite their lower-class status, the third-class passengers on the Titanic were treated with respect and dignity, and their presence on the ship was crucial to its success. For many third-class passengers aboard the Titanic, the journey was not a luxurious trip across the Atlantic, but it was a chance for a new life, for a shot at the American dream, most of them leaving their homes and families behind in search of better opportunities in America. They were willing to endure slightly cramped quarters and lack of first-class amenities on the ship because they believed that their future in America would be worth it. Many of these passengers were from impoverished backgrounds and had saved for years to afford the trip. They left behind their homes, jobs, and sometimes even their families with the hope that they could start their new life in America. They brought with them only what they could carry, their hopes and their dreams. For them... The Titanic was more than just a ship. It was a symbol of hope and opportunity, and they were determined to make the most of their new lives in America, even if it meant facing the challenges of starting over in a foreign land. Despite the class distinctions on board, the pursuit for a better life united all passengers on the Titanic, each with their own unique story and journey. The cabins were small but clean and comfortable, and the passengers had access to a library, a smoking room, and even a gymnasium. Overall, the White Star Line recognized the importance of catering to all classes of passengers and ensured that everyone on board had an enjoyable journey. At the time of the Titanic's maiden voyage, there was an intense competition among ocean liners to claim the prestigious Blue Ribbon, which was an award for the fastest transatlantic crossing. The Blue Ribbon was introduced in the 1830s and was awarded to the passenger ship that made the fastest crossing of the Atlantic Ocean. The competition for the Blue Ribbon was fierce, and it was considered a great honor to win it. The award was a symbol of a ship's speed, reliability, and technological advancement. It was also a fantastic marketing tool for the shipping companies, as it helped to attract wealthy passengers who wanted to travel on the fastest and most prestigious ships. The competition for the Blue Ribbon reached its peak in the early 20th century with the advent of new steamship technology. The race for the Blue Ribbon was a significant factor in the design and construction of ocean liners, and many ships were built with speed as the primary goal. The Titanic was designed to be a luxurious ship, but it was also designed with speed in mind. The White Star Line wanted the Titanic to be a contender for the Blue Ribbon, and it was hoped that the ship would make a record-breaking first crossing on its maiden voyage. To win the Blue Ribbon, the Titanic would have to arrive in New York City by sunrise on April 17, 1912, and reach the Ambrose Light Ship off the coast of New Jersey at the entrance to the Ambrose Channel by Tuesday afternoon. This meant that the Titanic had to maintain a very fast pace throughout the voyage, and the captain and crew were under immense pressure to push the ship to its limits in order to achieve these goals. Captain Smith was pushing the Titanic to travel faster than the recommended speed, which was around 20 knots, in order to make up for lost time due to the delay in departure. The Titanic was averaging a speed of about 22 knots, 
close to its top speed. But meanwhile, deep in the bowels of the ship, the Titanic was already facing a different issue entirely, one that the White Star Line had expressly concealed from its passengers. But first, let's cover how the Titanic's engines were run. The Titanic was powered by a total of 29 boilers, which fed steam to two reciprocating engines and one steam turbine. The reciprocating engine drove the outer two propellers, while the turbine powered the central propeller. Together, they generated a maximum of 46,000 horsepower, making the Titanic one of the most powerful ships of its time. The boilers were coal-fired and required a constant supply of coal to keep the engines running. The Titanic's coal bunkers could hold up to 6,000 tons of coal, which was enough to keep the ship running for about five days at full speed, using about 600 tons a day shoveled into the boilers by a team of firemen. The engines themselves were marvels of engineering, weighing in at over 1,000 tons each. The reciprocating engines stood at over 30 feet tall and were capable of generating 15,000 horsepower each, while the turbine was even larger, standing at over 40 feet tall and generating up to 16,000 horsepower. The engines were controlled from the bridge by a team of engineers who constantly monitored their performance and made adjustments as needed to keep the ship running smoothly. In the days leading up to the Titanic's maiden voyage, a fire had broken out in the coal boiler room 5, deep within the vessel's bowels. The coal had spontaneously combusted, and the flames had quickly spread to other nearby bunkers, creating an intense and dangerous inferno before even leaving Southampton. The crew attempted to fight the blaze throughout the voyage, but to no avail. The White Star Line, eager to maintain the ship's scheduled departure, made a decision to conceal the extent of the fire from the passengers. They did not want to alarm the wealthy and influential first-class passengers, nor did they want to damage the reputation of the Titanic, which was meant to be the pinnacle of luxury and safety on the high seas. Bunker fires were a known and common risk in the steam age due to the use of coal-fired engines. The coal was stored in bunkers located near the boiler rooms, and these bunkers were prone to spontaneous combustion. To prevent this, the coal was dampened and kept cool by crew members who regularly patrolled the area. However, despite these precautions, bunker fires still occurred, and were usually dealt with by isolating the affected bunker and allowing the fire to burn itself out while the ship continued to its destination. Crew members were often tasked with keeping an eye on the fire and making sure it did not spread to the other areas of the ship, while systematically shoveling out all of the coal from the affected bunker. With no fuel remaining in the area, the fire would typically put themselves out. Frederick Barrett was a crew member on the Titanic who served as the leading fireman on board. He was responsible for managing the team of stokers who tended to the coal-fired engines in the ship's boiler rooms. Barrett was a seasoned sailor, having worked for the White Star Line for over ten years before joining the Titanic. He was known for his diligence and hard work, and was respected by his colleagues and superiors alike. When the bunker fire was discovered, Barrett was tasked with trying to extinguish it. He and his team worked tirelessly, shoveling coal out of the affected bunker and dousing the flames with water. Despite their efforts, the fire could not be fully extinguished and continued to burn throughout the voyage. Barrett's work, however, 
was critical in keeping the fire contained and preventing it from spreading to other parts of the ship. The fire burning in the coal bunker was incredibly hot, reaching temperatures of up to 1,800 degrees Fahrenheit. This intense heat caused the iron plates and steel beams supporting the ship's deck to warp and buckle, compromising the structural integrity of the Titanic and critically damaging the watertight bulkhead between Bunker 5 and 6, allowing there to no longer be a perfect seal and allowing the Titanic to already begin to leak water before the incident ever occurred. The wireless radio on board the Titanic was one of the most advanced of its time, Designed by Italian inventor Guillermo Marconi, it was a cutting-edge technology that allowed for long-range communication over the airwaves. The wireless room was located on the boat deck just aft of the wheelhouse and was staffed around the clock by two operators, Jack Phillips and Harold Bride, who were not employed by the White Star Line at all, and rather by the radio company Marconi. The radio equipment itself consisted of a spark gap transmitter, which was used to send Morse code messages, and a crystal receiver, which was used to pick up incoming messages. The system was powered by a generator located in the engine room, which provided a steady supply of electricity to the radio room. The wireless radio was considered a luxury at the time, and on the night of the tragedy, the wireless transmitters had other priorities. You see, the radio was primarily used for passenger communications, and the Marconi line was being paid as a commercial entity to relay those messages, kind of equivalent to Wi-Fi today. Passengers could send telegrams to loved ones on shore, and could also receive news and weather updates. This created a conflict of interest between what the Marconi company prioritized and potential important ship-to-ship communication. On the night of the tragedy... The volume of messages Jack Phillips was responsible to dispatch was putting the operators under extreme pressure to begin with. To man the wireless radio on the Titanic, a person needed to be highly skilled and dedicated to their job. They had to be able to work long hours, often with little rest, and be prepared to deal with any emergency that might arise. They also had to have an in-depth understanding of the complex technology behind the wireless radio systems, as well as the ability to communicate effectively with other ships and shore stations. There was no engineer on board to repair it, so the operators were expected to control and repair the equipment themselves. In addition, they needed to be able to work well under pressure, as the job often involved transmitting important messages that could have a significant impact on the safety and well-being of the ship and its passengers. The notating of MSG on telegrams was used to mark important safety messages that were received through the wireless radio on board the Titanic. It stands for Master's Service Gram, and was used to indicate that the message was of highest priority and needed to be delivered to the captain immediately. The use of the MSG notation ensured that these critical messages could be quickly identified and acted upon. On April 14th, 1912. Titanic had received ice warnings throughout the day from other ships warning of icebergs in the area. The first warning came from the SS America at 9 a.m., followed by the German liner SS Bremen at 1.40 p.m., and the Leyland liner SS Californian at 7.30 p.m. 
After receiving several ice warnings earlier in the day, the captain of the Titanic, Captain Smith, altered the ship's course slightly to the south, continuing about half hour longer than anticipated before turning course slightly northwest towards New York at 5.50 p.m. This was done in an effort to avoid any potential icebergs that might be in their path, and the crew was on high alert and keeping close watch for any ice that might be ahead. This decision soon brought perilous consequences. On the night of the disaster, the wireless radio equipment on the Titanic experienced a failure. Phillips sent out an SOS distress signal to any ships within range, but then had to shut down the equipment to locate and fix the problem. It took almost six or seven hours for Phillips to find and repair the issue. At 9.52 on April 14, 1912, the wireless operators aboard the Titanic received a message from the steamer Masaba, warning them of ice ahead on their route. The message read, Saw heavy pack ice and great number of large icebergs, also field ice. Weather good, clear. This warning should have let the Titanic know that her new course was still leading her right into an ice field teeming with massive icebergs. However, this message critically didn't contain the MSG prefix and never reached Captain Smith. The wireless operator Jack Phillips, who was not a navigator and could not have known the importance of the message truly without the proper notation, was busy catching up on sending and receiving passenger messages from the equipment failure and did not prioritize relaying the ice warning to the bridge. At 11.40 p.m., the wireless operator on board the Californian sent a message to the Titanic warning them again of pack ice and icebergs in the vicinity. The message was prefaced with the words MSG to Titanic and marked with the urgent signal CQD, which was the international distress signal at the time. The message read, We are stopped and surrounded by ice. The message was received by the Titanic's wireless operators, but they were busy attending to another pressing issue and did not immediately pass on the warning to the bridge. However, the Californian's wireless operator continued to try to contact the Titanic throughout the night, sending a total of six messages warning of ice in the area. None of these messages were acknowledged by the Titanic's wireless operators, and the messages were never passed along. When the wireless operator on the Titanic received the dark warning from the Californian, he was busy transmitting messages to Newfoundland, which was over 700 miles away. In order to reach such a faraway destination, the operator had had to switch the wireless to a very high level. As a result, the Californian's messages probably came through extremely loud and disturbed the ongoing communication. The Titanic's wireless operator responded to the Californian, telling them to shut up and keep out. This response has been criticized as being unprofessional and may have contributed to the Californian's failure to offer assistance when the Titanic later hit an iceberg and began to sink. The message may have been intended to get the Californian to stop interfering with the important message traffic to Newfoundland, but it ultimately had serious consequences. After the Titanic's messages to the Californian to be quiet, the operator of the Californian turned off his radio and went to bed. The Californian's warning was the last opportunity for the Titanic to receive a direct and urgent message about the presence of ice in the area. The threat to the Californian was so bad, they had stopped their engines until sunrise. Had the Titanic known, Titanic may have done the same. The failure to transmit this message 
ultimately contributed to the loss of many lives and the ultimate sinking of the Titanic. This is one of the great what-ifs of the Titanic story. If the Californian had been able to effectively communicate the danger of ice to the Titanic's crew, the tragedy may have been averted. It's a reminder to all of us of how small moments and decisions can have such a significant impact on the course of history. But, the radio wasn't the only line of defense against the danger of icebergs. The Titanic had a team of two lookouts from the crow's nest on the foredeck, Frederick Fleet and Reginald Lee, stationed in the crow's nest to scan the horizon for any potential dangers. It was a difficult job, and the lookouts had to brave the cold winds and keep a constant watch for any obstacles in the ship's path. The lookouts were typically equipped with binoculars to enhance their vision, but, unfortunately, there were only two pairs of binoculars on board, and they were not available to the lookouts at the time. This may have contributed to the lookout's failure to spot the iceberg in time. The reason for the missing binoculars on the Titanic is still a matter of debate and speculation. One theory is that they were locked away in a cupboard that was mistakenly left behind in Southampton, where the ship began its journey. Another theory is that the second officer, David Blair, who was originally scheduled to be on the Titanic, but was replaced at the last possible moment, forgot to leave the binoculars on the ship, or forgot to leave the keys to his cabin, meaning they were inaccessible. On the night of the Titanic sinking, the weather was unusually calm and clear, and shockingly bright. However, it was also very cold, with the temperatures hovering just below freezing. The pressure in the air, too, was uncommonly high, which meant that the air itself was crystal clear. The light from the stars was so bright, one crew member remarked that you could have played a game of football on deck. This had the effect of making the surface of the ocean appear like a smooth, mirror-like sheet of glass, which made spotting icebergs very difficult until it was too late. The iceberg was only visible when it was about 500 yards away, which was too late to avoid a collision. Suddenly, the lookout spotted the iceberg in the distance. They rang the warning bell three times, which signals danger on the bow, and let out the infamous cry, Iceberg, dead ahead. First, Officer William Murdoch was in charge and immediately ordered the ship to be steered to port to try and skirt the iceberg, and the engine stopped before reversed. While they were almost able to clear the iceberg itself, they were unable to get around the underwater ice shelf, which raked the side of the Titanic under the waterline. Titanic's steering system was operated by a large wheel on the bridge, which controlled a steam-powered hydraulic system that turned the ship's rudder. However, this system had a potential flaw that could have contributed to the disaster. When the wheel was turned to one side, it signaled the engine room to stop one of the ship's propellers, which would help the ship turn. But if the wheel was turned too far, the engine room would stop both propellers, effectively trying to stop the ship in the water. This happened on the night of the sinking, when First Officer Murdoch gave the order to turn the ship to avoid the iceberg. He turned the wheel hard to starboard, which caused the engine room to stop the portside propeller. This slowed the ship down and made it harder to maneuver. Some experts believe that if Murdoch had turned the wheel the other way, the engine room would have stopped the other propeller, allowing the ship to turn more quickly and possibly, possibly avoid the iceberg altogether. 
not to mention that the rudder of the Titanic was used to deflect water from the central propeller, forcing water through it. But by stopping the engines entirely, the rudder was no longer as effective to redirect the ship. When the engines are stopped or put in reverse, the flow of water from the propellers is disrupted. This can make it more difficult for the ship to maneuver in tight situations, such as trying to avoid an obstacle like an iceberg. In the case of the Titanic, when the lookout spotted the iceberg and the helm was ordered hard starboard, the engines were immediately stopped and put in reverse. This caused the flow of water from the propellers to stop, and the rudder to become more or less ineffective, which made it more difficult for the ship to turn away from the iceberg. Additionally, the Titanic's large size and weight meant that even with the engines in reverse, the ship could not stop or turn quickly enough to avoid a collision. The decision to stop the engines and the impact it had on the Titanic's rudder was a small change in the ship's operation, but it could have made a significant difference in the outcome of the events that followed. Had the engines remained operational, the Titanic may have had more control over its direction and may have been able to avoid the iceberg altogether or minimize the damage caused by the collision. The difference may have been a matter of seconds or milliseconds, but in a situation as critical as this, even a few seconds can make all the difference. The collision between the Titanic and the iceberg was not the dramatic crash that one might expect. Instead, it was a glancing blow, almost imperceptible to most of the passengers and crew. The iceberg scraped along the side of the ship, leaving a series of small puncture holes and causing some of the steel plates to buckle. Despite the relatively minor impact, the damage was severe enough to compromise the ship's watertight compartments and set her on a course towards disaster. Contrary to popular belief, the iceberg didn't directly cause the holes in the side of the Titanic that led to her sinking, but it did expose one of the few breaking points on the ship. The Titanic's hull was constructed using over three million rivets, which were used to fasten the massive steel plates together. The riveting process involved heating the rivets until they were red hot, then inserting them through holes in the plates and hammering both ends to secure them in place. Most of the rivets were made of mild steel, which is strong and durable under normal conditions. When the Titanic struck the iceberg, the impact caused some of the steel plates, which were already below freezing, to buckle and deform easier than they would have normally, creating a series of small holes in the hull. The force of the collision also caused the rivets to break and pop out of their holes, further weakening the structure of the ship, effectively unzipping her. Steel rivets were commonly used in the construction of the Titanic's hull, and they were fastened using a bulky hydraulic machine. However, in the bow section, where the hull was more angled, it would have been extremely difficult to use the machine effectively, and the workers had to insert most of the rivets by hand. Due to these challenging conditions, many of the rivets in the bow section were made of iron, which is not as versatile or strong as steel. Additionally, slag, a byproduct of iron that would be found within the iron rivets, made them even more prone to fracture. The bow section was particularly vulnerable to damage from impact, and it's possible that the collision with the iceberg caused these iron rivets to fail and the hull to tear open. 
As the cold seawater rushed into the Titanic's hull, it caused the steel plates to become even more brittle, making it easier for them to crack and more rivets to shear off. Despite the Titanic's state-of-the-art construction, the combination of the cold water and the force of the impact proved too much for the hull to withstand. The rivets were supposed to hold the ship together. The rivets that were supposed to hold the ship together became the weak link in the chain, ultimately contributing to the sinking. The Titanic was designed with these 16 watertight compartments, each separated by watertight bulkheads that could be sealed in case of emergency. The ship was expected to be able to take on water in up to four of the compartments at a time and still remain afloat, according to their designers. However, the iceberg struck the Titanic on its starboard side, causing a gash that spanned several compartments, from the bottom of the ship to the waterline. As a result, water flooded into multiple compartments, causing the Titanic to slowly sink into the icy waters of the North Atlantic. The ship's designers had not accounted for such a catastrophic breach, and the compartments that were filling with water were too numerous to be sealed off by the watertight bulkheads. For about ten minutes after the collision, everything remained calm on board. As the pressure inside the hull began to match the pressure outside, the flooding seemed to slow down. As word of the collision spread, many passengers began to gather on the deck to see what was going on, but with no sign of panic. Meanwhile, far below, things were beginning to spiral out of control, exposing Titanic's fatal weakness. After the collision, the ship's officers immediately assessed the damage and realized that the Titanic was in imminent danger of sinking. They gave orders to the crew to prepare the lifeboats and to start getting passengers up to the boat deck. Stewards were then sent around to calmly inform passengers of the situation and to instruct them to put on their life jackets and proceed upwards. The stewards worked methodically, moving through the decks and cabins, checking each room and gently waking sleeping passengers. They conveyed the seriousness of the situation, but tried to keep everyone calm and orderly as they made their way to the deck. As all this was going on, many curious passengers opened their portals to look outside. Unfortunately, many of them left their portals open before leaving for the deck. This caused the Titanic to sink significantly faster. In fact, 12 portals alone being left open could have doubled the damage from the iceberg. The ship had a total of 300, so the impact of the open portals on the sinking to the ship was significant. By midnight, the water had risen about 14 feet in the front part of the ship, spilling over the transverse bulkheads which separated each of the watertight compartments. This was a critical point in the sinking, as it meant that water was able to spill into adjacent compartments, causing them to fill up quickly as well. Fred Barrett was one of the leading firemen on the Titanic. When the Titanic hit the iceberg and water began flooding into the lower compartments of the ship, Barrett was among the crew members who worked tirelessly to try and stem the flow of water. Barrett worked in the boiler room, shoveling coal to keep the engines running and maintain the ship's power. When the Titanic began to flood, he was tasked with working to keep the water from reaching the ship's engines and boilers, which would have had a catastrophic explosion. Despite the overwhelming odds against him, Barrett worked tirelessly to keep the water at bay. He and his fellow crew members used whatever materials they could find to try to patch up the holes in the ship's hull and prevent the water from spreading. Ultimately, their efforts were in vain, 
as the Titanic sank in the early hours of April 15, 1912. But Barrett's bravery and dedication to duty in the face of such overwhelming danger have made him a hero and an inspiration to generations as he fought to keep the Titanic alive even a little bit longer to allow passengers to escape. As six compartments quickly filled with water, another fatal mistake was revealed. The Titanic's watertight bulkheads were designed to extend only to a certain height above the waterline, leaving some of the upper decks and passenger areas unprotected. This was a conscious decision made by the ship's designers, as they wanted to create an open and spacious atmosphere for the passengers. The bulkheads were intended to contain any flooding to a significant area and prevent it from spreading throughout the ship, but were not designed to withstand the force of water that rose above their height. As the Titanic began to take on more and more water, the weight of the water caused the bow of the ship to gradually dip lower and lower. By 2 a.m., the water had filled the bow so much that it became too heavy to stay afloat and sank beneath the surface of the water. As it did so, the stern of the ship was lifted higher and higher until it eventually reached nearly 45 degrees in the air. As the Titanic sank deeper into the water, the immense pressure of the ship's hull caused it to buckle and break apart. This was accompanied by a series of devastating crashes as the steel plates, decks, and bulkheads began to twist and snap under the strain. The sound was described by survivors as being similar to thunder or the explosion of artillery shells. The ship broke in two, with the stern section separating from the bow and falling back into the water with a tremendous splash. The noise echoed across the ocean, filling the air with an ominous and unforgettable sound. As the stern section of the Titanic slowly sank, the lights flickered and went out one by one leaving the remaining passengers and crew in total darkness. The sounds of rushing water and groaning metal filled the air as the remainder of the ship sank beneath the surface, disappearing from sight forever. The only sounds left were the cries and screams of those in the water and the distant hum of the lifeboats rowing away to safety. The Titanic, once thought to be unsinkable, had succumbed to the cold, dark depths of the North Atlantic, taking 1,500 people of her crew and passengers with her. The Titanic was able to stay afloat for about two hours and 40 minutes after hitting the iceberg. The exact length of time is somewhat debated, as different parts of the ship sank at different times but most estimates put it in about this range. During this time, 
efforts were made to launch the lifeboats and evacuate the passengers and crew, but due to the lack of sufficient lifeboats and confusion about the evacuation procedures, many people were left stranded on the sinking ship. It is remarkable that the Titanic was able to stay afloat for as long as she did, considering the extent of the damage that she sustained. However, much could have been avoided if not for one critical human error. About 47 minutes after the Titanic struck the iceberg, the wireless radio operators Jack Phillips and Harold Bride were given the order to call for help. Phillips sent out a series of distress signals, including the now-famous CQD and SOS, which communicated with nearby ships to request assistance. The letters CQ were used by operators to alert others to an incoming message, and D stood for distress. The first to respond was the RMS Carpathia, which was about 58 miles away and steamed towards the sinking Titanic as quickly as possible. But there was another ship on the horizon, the Californian, only miles away, who may have been able to come to their aid if the Titanic hadn't told them to halt communication only hours prior. The Californian was close enough to the Titanic that her crew could see her lights on the horizon. At about 12.45, the Californian's crew noticed what appeared to be rockets being fired off in the direction of the Titanic. There are several theories as to why the Californian did not recognize the rockets fired as distress signals. One theory is that the rockets were not seen by the Californian crew due to poor visibility caused by haze or low clouds. Another theory is that the Californian's wireless operator had gone off duty, and the other officers on watch were not aware of the distress signals. Additionally, some have suggested that the crew of the Californian mistook the rockets for celebratory signals, as rockets were commonly used for celebrations and signaling between ships at the time. However, it is still unclear why the crew of the Californian did not investigate further or reattempt communication. Jack Phillips One of the Titanic's wireless operators demonstrated incredible heroicism and selflessness in his final moments by continuing to send distress signals as the ship sank. Despite the chaos and danger around him, Philip stayed at his post and continued to transmit messages for as long as he possibly could. He worked tirelessly to keep the wireless equipment operational, even as water flooded into the wireless room. His bravery and dedication to his duty helped save many lives by ensuring that rescue ships were dispatched to the scene as quickly as possible, and true to his commitment to his job, went down with her. The Titanic had a total of 20 lifeboats, 14 wooden and 6 collapsible, which could hold a total of 1,178 people, less than half of the number of passengers and crew on board. This decision was made based on the outdated regulations in place at the time, which dictated the number of lifeboats based on the ship's gross tonnage, rather than number of people on board. The White Star Line believed that the Titanic was unsinkable, and that the lifeboats were only meant to be used for ferrying passengers to nearby rescue ships, rather than as a means of escape from a sinking ship. Furthermore, the large number of lifeboats would have cluttered the decks and ruined the aesthetics of the ship. The water temperature on the night of the Titanic sinking was around 28 degrees Fahrenheit, or negative 2 degrees Celsius. In such cold water, 
survival time is greatly reduced, with the average human becoming unconscious within 15 minutes and succumbing to hypothermia within 45 minutes to an hour. It is estimated that only about 30% of the people who went into the water survived, and most of them were rescued by lifeboats or other ships within a few hours after the sinking. Quote, Striking the water was like a thousand knives being driven into one's body. Charles Lightoller, second officer aboard the Titanic. Quote, the sounds of people drowning are something I cannot describe to you, and neither can anyone else. It is the most dreadful sound, and there is a terrible silence that follows it. Ava Hart, Titanic Survivor. There is some debate among historians and experts on whether the Titanic may have survived the collision if it had struck the iceberg head-on. Some argue that hitting the iceberg head-on could have allowed the ship to absorb the impact better and avoid damage to multiple compartments. The bow of the Titanic was designed as a collision bulkhead, similar to the crumple section of a car, which means it was designed to absorb the impact of the collision and protect the compartments behind it. In this scenario, the bow of the ship may have been crushed, but the watertight compartments behind it would have remained intact, and the ship would not have flooded and sank as quickly as it did. By swinging the boat around and causing the Titanic to strike the iceberg from the side, it's possible far more structural damage was done. First of all, it's important to note that the actions taken by First Officer Murdoch during the Titanic's collision with the iceberg have been the subject of much debate and speculation. There is no definitive answer as to whether or not he made the right decisions in that situation. But that being said, it is widely acknowledged that Murdoch was faced with an incredibly difficult situation. He had to make a split-second decision based on limited information and under extreme pressure. In that kind of situation, it is very difficult to know what the right thing to do is. Many experts have argued that Murdoch made the best possible decision he could have under his circumstances. For example, he ordered the ship to be turned to avoid the iceberg, which many believe was the right thing to do. Others have argued he should have tried to go straight through it, which may have been a safer option. But it is generally against every human instinct to strike an iceberg head-on, as most people's natural reaction would be to try and avoid the obstacle. The human brain is wired to recognize potential dangers and take action to avoid them. Striking an iceberg head-on would require a level of control and bravery that is not innate in most people. Ultimately, it's impossible to say for certain what the outcome would have been if Murdoch had made different decisions. What we do know is that he acted with bravery and professionalism in an incredibly difficult situation, and no one blames him for his actions. The sinking of the Titanic had a profound impact on popular culture and the collective consciousness of people around the world. In the immediate aftermath of the disaster, there was widespread shock and grief. Newspapers around the world carry stories about the sinking and the lives lost, and many people struggled to come to terms with the tragedy. The sinking of the Titanic was also a major turning point in the history of ocean travel. 
In the wake of the disaster, there were numerous changes to maritime safety regulations, including the requirement of all ships to carry enough lifeboats for all passengers and crew. The disaster also led to the establishment of the International Ice Patrol, which is still in operation today and is responsible for monitoring icebergs in the North Atlantic. The sinking led to several inquiries that sought to investigate the cause of the disaster and determine who was responsible. The United States Senate inquiry led by Senator William Alden Smith was the first to take place just days after the sinking. The British Board of Trade also conducted an inquiry that began in May 1912, which examined the regulations surrounding the safety of ships and the implementation of wireless telegraphy. Both inquiries concluded that the cause of the disaster was the collision with the iceberg and the lack of lifeboats on board. The British inquiry placed much of the blame on the actions of Captain Smith, who had ignored several warnings of the ice in the area and failed to take appropriate action in their eyes to avoid the collision. The inquiry also found fault with the Board of Trade, which had failed to adequately enforce safety regulations and allowed the Titanic to sail with too few lifeboats. After the sinking of the Titanic, the search for bodies began with the Canadian ship C.S. McKay Bennett being the first to arrive at the site. However, the ship quickly ran out of embalming supplies due to the large number of bodies found. The decision was made to only embalm the bodies of first-class passengers, leaving many third-class passengers and crew members to be buried at sea. Captain Larnder of the McKay Bennett identified crew members buried at sea based on their clothing and explained that he would be content with a burial at sea himself as a mariner. The bodies that were recovered were taken to Halifax, the closest city to the sinking with direct rail and steamship connections. A temporary morgue was set up in the curling rink of the Mayflower Curling Club, and undertakers were called in from across eastern Canada to assist. The Halifax Registrar of Vital Statistics, John Henry Barnstead, developed a system to identify bodies and safeguard personal possessions. Many relatives came from across North America to identify and claim the bodies of their loved ones. About two-thirds of bodies were identified, and some were shipped to be buried in their hometowns across North America and Europe. Unidentified victims were buried with simple numbers based on the order of their discovery. The majority of the recovered victims, 150 bodies, were buried in three Halifax cemeteries, with the largest being Fairview Lawn Cemetery, followed by Mount Olivet and Baron de Hirsch cemeteries. The last body recovered was Stuart James McCrady, body number 330, found by chartered Newfoundland sailing vessel Algerine on the 22nd of May and buried at Fairview Lawn on the 12th of June. Only 330 bodies of Titanic victims were recovered, which was only one in five of the other 1,500 victims. Many bodies sank with the ship, and currents quickly dispersed bodies and wreckage across hundreds of miles, making them difficult or impossible to recover. By June, one of the last search ships reported that life jackets supporting bodies were coming apart and releasing bodies to sink into the depths. The recovery and identification of Titanic's victims were a sad reminder of the lives lost and the tragedy of the ship sinking. 
As the Titanic made her fateful journey across the Atlantic, hundreds of people were on board, each with their own story to tell. Some would become legends for their heroism, while others would be remembered simply for their tragic ending. Here are a few of the powerful stories from the Titanic passengers, both heroic and heartbreaking. One of the most well-known stories of heroism on the Titanic is that of Wallace Hartley, the ship's bandmaster. As the ship began to sink, Hartley and the entirety of his eight-piece band continued to play music in an effort to calm the passengers and keep up morale. According to survivors, the band played until the very end, even as the ship was tilting and water was pouring into the deck. Hartley's body was recovered later from the water, still clutching his violin. Quote, we had gone perhaps half a mile when the officer ordered the men to cease rowing. No sound reached us except the music of the band, which I seemed, strange to say, to be aware of for the first time. Oh, those brave musicians, how wonderful they were. They were playing lively tunes, ragtime, and they kept it up until the very end. The band was playing Nearer My God to Thee, I can still hear it distinctly. Charlotte Coiler, Titanic survivor. Quote, Many brave things were done that night, but none more brave than by those few men playing minute after minute as the ship settled quietly lower and lower into the sea. The music they played serving alike as their own immortal requiem and their right to be recorded on the rolls of undying fame. Laura Speasley, Titanic survivor. Another story of bravery comes from Benjamin Guggenheim, a wealthy businessman who was traveling on the Titanic with his valet. When he realized the ship was sinking, Guggenheim refused to board a lifeboat, instead choosing to dress in his finest clothing and calmly accept his fate. He reportedly told his valet, quote, We've dressed up in our best and are prepared to go down like gentlemen. Guggenheim and his valet were among the many who perished that night. One of the most heartbreaking stories of loss comes from the Strauss family. Isidore and Ida Strauss were prominent New York City business people who were traveling on the Titanic together. When the ship began to sink, Ida refused to leave her husband's side, despite being offered a spot on the lifeboat. According to survivors, Isidore urged his wife to leave without him, saying, quote, I will not go before the other men. She refused, saying, We have lived together for many years. Where you go, I go. The couple were last seen sitting together on deck chairs, holding hands as the ship sank into the depths. Their bodies were never recovered. Another first-hand account of the tragedy comes from Edith Rosenbaum, a fashion journalist who was traveling on the Titanic with a collection of clothing samples. As the ship began to sink, Rosenbaum managed to grab a small wicker basket and stuffed it full of her most valuable possessions, including diamond jewelry and a pearl necklace. She then managed to make it onto one of the last lifeboats, along with dozens of other survivors. Rosenbaum would later describe the chaos and confusion of the evacuation process, as well as the eerie silence that descended over the ship as it sank. 
Perhaps one of the most astonishing stories of survival comes from Violet Jessup, a nurse who was working on the Titanic as a stewardess. Jessup had previously survived the sinking of the Titanic sister ship, the Britannic, and was on board the Titanic when it struck the iceberg. Jessup helped passengers into lifeboats and eventually boarded one herself. She later recalled that as the lifeboat was lowered into the water, an officer handed her a baby to care for. She would go on to live a long and eventful life, passing away in 1971 at the age of 84. John Harper was a Scottish preacher who was traveling to the United States to preach at the Moody Church in Chicago. When the Titanic hit the iceberg, Harper helped his daughter and a family friend into a lifeboat, but he himself did not board. Instead, he spent his final moments preaching to other passengers and urging them to put their faith in Jesus Christ. As the ship sank, Harper swam from person to person, trying to help them reach safety. He eventually succumbed to the cold and the water, and was later found floating on a piece of wreckage. Harper's daughter and family friend survived, and later testified to his heroism. Margaret Brown, also known as Unsinkable Molly Brown, was a wealthy socialite who was traveling in first class on the Titanic. When the ship hit the iceberg, she helped to organize and assist in the evacuation of passengers. She even took charge of one of the lifeboats and helped row it to safety. Margaret's bravery and selflessness earned her a place in history, and she has been portrayed in several books and films. Another remarkable survivor was Charles Lightoller, who was the most senior officer to survive the disaster. He was in charge of loading the lifeboats and helped to launch several of them before eventually jumping into the water and swimming to safety. After being rescued, he continued to help in the rescue efforts and even testified in the official inquiry into the sinking. His experience and knowledge helped to shape safety regulations for future ships. There are countless stories of ordinary passengers who showed remarkable courage and kindness during the disaster. From giving up their own life jackets to helping others climb into the lifeboats, these individuals demonstrated the best of humanity in the face of tragedy. Their stories serve as a reminder of the power of compassion and selflessness, even in the darkest of times. The official expedition to the wreckage of the Titanic was undertaken by a team led by oceanographer Robert Ballard in 1985. Using remote control underwater vehicles, the team located the wreck at a depth of over 12,000 feet in the North Atlantic. They were able to capture remarkable images and footage of the wreck, including the iconic bow section and grand staircase. One of the most remarkable discoveries was the condition of some of the personal belongings from the passengers and crew. Many of these items had been perfectly preserved in the cold, dark waters and were found in surprisingly good condition. Among the items recovered were a leather suitcase, a pair of boots, a gentleman's hat, a silver spoon, and a letter written on Titanic stationery. These personal items provided a poignant reminder of the human tragedy that occurred there. In addition to the personal belongings, the team also found other artifacts, including a telegraph machine, the ship's wheel, and various pieces of furniture. During the 1985 expedition to the Titanic wreck site, several watches were found that had stopped at the exact moment the ship sank, due to the water entering the cases and stopping the mechanisms. The watches were found to be in remarkable condition despite being submerged in salt water for over 70 years. 
One of the most famous watches belonged to a crew member named Sidney Sedinary and was recovered with his body. The watch, a silver pocket watch made by Waltham, had stopped at 2.20 a.m., the exact time the Titanic sank. The watch had a protective cover which helped to preserve it, and even the glass crystal remained intact. The discovery of these watches provided a haunting reminder of the tragedy that occurred and the lives lost. The story of the Titanic is a haunting reminder of the fragility of human life and the potential consequences of human error. The tragedy claimed the lives of 1,500 people, most of whom were passengers seeking a better life in America. It was an event that shocked the world and changed the way we think about shipbuilding, marine safety, and the hubris of human engineering. The Titanic was supposed to be an unsinkable ship, a marvel of modern technology that was meant to usher in a new era of transatlantic travel. But as we know, even the most advanced and well-designed vessels can succumb to the forces of nature. The sinking of the Titanic was a wake-up call for the world, a stark reminder that no amount of technology or engineering can overcome the power of the elements. The stories of heroism and tragedy that emerged from the Titanic disaster are a testament to the resilience and bravery of the human spirit. From the musicians who continued to play as the ship sank, to the passengers who helped each other into lifeboats, there were countless acts of selflessness and courage in the face of unimaginable horror. Today, the Titanic story continues to capture the imagination of people around the world. The wreck of the ship lies at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean, a silent memorial to the lives lost and the lessons learned. The ocean is filled with wrecks and the bodies of doomed sailors and passengers. With so many ghosts of the sea, the Earth's water should be one of the most haunted places in existence. Think of all the perished souls who died abruptly and violently and never had a proper burial, supposedly the first set of criteria for creating ghosts. Logically speaking, there ought to be dozens of ghost ships circumnavigating the seas at any given time. And there are indeed many famous ghost ships. The Flying Dutchman, of course, is the best known. The Dutchman legend has been floating around, if you will, since the 17th century. The ship is said to be doomed never to enter port and to sail around the world forever. To sight its glowing hull and mass is said to portend doom, and those who see it will never walk ashore again. The origins of the story are unclear, but some have tried to explain it scientifically, saying that it's just an optical illusion caused by light refraction, which may be how the legend began. However the story first got started, it has been repeated through the centuries and has been adapted in literature and film. As for the Titanic itself, have there been any ghost sightings spotted near the rusting hall 300 miles out to sea? Incredibly, the answer is yes. As one of the deadliest maritime disasters in history, the sinking of the Titanic has long captured the imagination of people around the world. But in addition to the human drama of the tragedy, the story of the Titanic has also spawned a number of paranormal legends and ghost stories. Many people believe that the spirits of those who perished on the Titanic still haunt the site of the wreck. Many claim to have seen ghostly figures walking the decks, either in expeditions or in footage, or floating in the waters around it. Others have reported hearing strange noises or seeing unexplained lights in the vicinity of the wreck. One of the most famous stories of the Titanic ghosts involves the Grand Staircase, a lavish feature of the ship's interior that was designed to be a centerpiece of the onboard experience. 
According to legend, the ghost of a beautiful woman in a white dress has been seen descending the stairs, only to disappear into thin air at the bottom. Some believe that this woman may be the spirit of one of the Titanic's most famous passengers, Molly Brown, who survived the disaster, but is said to have returned to the ship in spirit form after her death. Ships passing by the site, which is off the coast of Newfoundland, have actually reported seeing orbs. Orbs, as any ghost hunter can tell you, are little balls of light energy signifying supernatural presence. Multiple orbs have been spotted hovering above or near the Titanic site on more than one occasion. Furthermore, submarines sailing near the site have reported hearing strange signals and interference on their radios, including SOS messages that have no verifiable source. Finally, in 1977, 2nd Officer Leonard Bishop of the SS Winterhaven gave one of his passengers a tour of his ship. The passenger was soft-spoken, had a British accent, and was unusually attentive to detail. Something about the man struck Bishop as odd, but he couldn't quite put his finger on what seemed out of place. Many years later, someone showed him a picture of Captain Edward J. Smith, and Bishop said, I know that man. I gave him a tour of my boat. His companion laughed and said, Impossible. That man was the captain of the Titanic. There have been several reported cases of children claiming to be the reincarnations of individuals who died on the Titanic. One such case was reported in the 1950s when a young boy named James Leninger claimed to be the reincarnation of James Houston, a World War II pilot who died in a plane crash. However, as he grew older, James began to recall memories of a past life on board the Titanic, claiming to have been a passenger named Jack who died when the ship sank. According to James's parents, he would have nightmares about drowning and would talk about his experiences on the Titanic, describing details about the ship and the people on board that he couldn't possibly have known otherwise. He also claimed to have been able to identify other passengers and photographs, including his alleged best friend on the ship, a man named John. Some experts believe these memories may be a form of cryptomnesia, or subconscious memories of events or stories that a child could have read or heard about. However, others believe that these cases may be evidence of reincarnation, or some other form of paranormal phenomenon. Regardless of the explanation, they continue to fascinate and intrigue people around the world. Jamie was a great baby. He's just been the greatest kid ever. I can't say enough good things about him. He was always very happy and joyful, you know, enjoyed everything that he did, had a great attention span for learning things, and he was really easy. He was an easy kid. Everybody in my family loves to swim. You know, we all love the water. So we had a swimming pool. Jamie would never go down past the stairs of the pool. And even if I would pick him up and take him out into the water, he would completely panic practically choke you, begging you to take him back into the shallow part of the pool. He was terrified of the deep end of the pool. When Jamie was around four or five years old, he started having night terrors. He would be asleep, he'd go to bed, and you'd hear him, you know, thrashing around a little bit. And then all of a sudden, he'd come running. He didn't look at you, he didn't look at his surroundings, but he always seemed panicked like he was looking for a way to get out. Jamie was 
around four years old, and we had gone out one night and left him with a babysitter. And when we came home, we found out that Jamie had watched the last half of the Titanic movie, which is not something we were happy about. And the next day, he started drawing and painting picture after picture of the Titanic. Within the first two weeks, he probably had painted 50 pictures. One, he had over 100 windows drawn in. One pencil drawing, he has all the levels of the ship. Like if you cut the ship in half and you can see all the different rooms and everything, he knew the ship. He knew it by heart. But you can't learn that by watching the movie. Jamie was completely distraught over the fact that the people in the boiler room died first. Like it was his fault that they were trapped. He started talking about the accident itself and how it shouldn't have happened, that there were mistakes, there were corners cut, and the men in the boiler rooms should not have been trapped. And he would, he would cry about it. He had so much knowledge about the ship and such an interest in it that we thought there has to be some other deeper connection. When he was five years old, he was telling me some of the mistakes that they made in building the ship. Using iron instead of steel was wrong. He was five. <laughs> he was telling me these things. I had always grew up with the belief of reincarnation. So it was a very common thing for me to think that, you know, yes, there might be more than just this one life. So after Jamie was having memories of the Titanic for almost two years, as we studied the Titanic and the history of it, we had finally come to the conclusion about who he was. We didn't match him up with anybody right away, but uh, as we studied the Titanic and the history of it, Jamie could have been one of the designers. His name was Thomas Andrews. Thomas Andrews designed um, several ships for the White Star Line, and it was his habit of going on all the maiden voyages of the ships that he helped design and build. And on the Titanic, the night that they were sinking, he chose not to get on a lifeboat and went down with the ship. Andrews was the chief designer. He was the one that was fighting with J.P. Morgan, who financed the Titanic. He fought with him over the fact that they didn't have enough lifeboats. The fact that they were trying to get the ship done by a certain date, so they weren't constructing it as carefully as they could have been. Thomas Andrews uh, wanted to use steel, and they used iron, and then of course, once the iron, which wasn't as strong as steel, got in the sub-zero temperatures of the water, it became brittle. So that was another reason why the ship literally broke apart. When you read about Thomas Andrews, it fit with what Jamie said. When we went to the Titanic exhibit in Chicago, I was hoping that there would be something that would turn the corner for Jamie. But it was after the exhibit that Jamie had the dream that I call the death dream. 
He had been suffering from night terrors for a couple of years. Well, one night, this was after we had seen the exhibit, I was home alone with Jamie. He was in bed asleep, and I was watching television, and all of a sudden I heard a bang on his bedroom wall. It was rhythmic. It was bang, 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 bang. And I jumped up, and I ran down the hallway, and I flung the door open, and Jamie was up on all fours on his bed. He was staring at the floor, and he was almost convulsing. He was shaking so hard. I didn't know what to do. I mean, I was, I was terrified, and I didn't know if I should, like, shake him out of it. And before I could even do anything, he screamed, and I cannot tell you the terror in his voice. He screamed, she's going down. It didn't sound like a little boy. It sounded like a man. And I just, I started to cry. But after that night, it was a day or two, he would talk about the Titanic. And then it was a week, he'd talk about the Titanic. Then it was two weeks. And slowly, he just stopped talking about it. The Titanic has become a legend, an icon of luxury and tragedy, and the subject of countless stories, books, and movies. One place where this legend is kept alive is the Titanic Museum in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. The museum has become a popular destination for tourists, history buffs, and paranormal enthusiasts alike, as it offers a unique opportunity to step back in time and experience the grandeur and the tragedy of the Titanic. The museum itself is a faithful replica of the Titanic, complete with a grand staircase, a promenade deck, and a full-size lifeboat. Visitors can explore the ship's interiors, see original artifacts from the Titanic, and learn about the individual lives of the passengers and crew who were aboard it. But the museum also has a darker side, as many visitors and employees have reported paranormal activity and ghostly encounters. Over the years, several paranormal investigations have been conducted at the museum with mixed results. Some investigators have reported seeing apparitions of crew members and passengers, hearing footsteps and voices, and feeling cold spots and sudden drops in temperature. One of the most popular, and shall I say, controversial paranormal shows to feature the Titanic Museum is Ghost Adventures, which aired an episode in which the team investigated the museum for evidence of ghostly activity. The team used various tools and techniques such as EVP recordings, electronic voice phenomenon, and thermal imaging to try and capture evidence of paranormal activity. John Jacob Astor IV was one of the most famous victims of the Titanic disaster. He was a wealthy American businessman, inventor, writer, and lieutenant colonel in the Spanish-American War. Astor was one of the richest men in the world at the time, and his life came to a tragic end when the Titanic hit the iceberg and sank. Today, more than a century later, Astor is still remembered by many people who visit the Titanic Museum. In fact, some visitors have reported seeing Astor's ghosts at the museum, walking around and staring out to sea. There have been reports of strange sounds and unexplained movements in the area where Astor's belongings are displayed and in the room that is a direct replica of the stateroom in which he stayed. One theory behind the sightings is that Astor's spirit is still searching for his beloved, recently married wife at the time of the sinking, Madeline, who survived the disaster but lost her husband and tragically was pregnant. 
Another theory is that Aster's ghost is simply drawn to the place where he met his tragic end. Regardless of the reason for the sightings, Aster's legacy lives on through his contributions to society and his tragic end aboard the Titanic. While some viewers were skeptical of the results, others were convinced that the museum is indeed haunted. The idea of ghosts and spirits lingering on the site of such a tragedy is not new, and many believe that the spirits of those who perished on the Titanic still roam the ship's decks and corridors. The Titanic story has captured the imagination of people for over a century, and it's not surprising that it inspired one of the most successful movies of all time. James Cameron's Titanic was released in 1997 and became a cultural phenomenon, grossing over $2 billion worldwide and winning 11 Academy Awards, including Best Picture. Cameron's film tells the story of the Titanic through the eyes of Jack Dawson, a penniless artist who falls in love with Rose DeWitt, a wealthy passenger on the ship. The film interweaves their fictional love story with the real events of the Titanic's doomed voyage, including the ship's collision and its sinking. One of the key factors in the success of the film was its attention to historical accuracy. Cameron and his team spent years researching the Titanic's design, construction, and sinking, and the film features detailed recreations of the ship's interior and exterior. The attention to detail was so meticulous that it led to the creation of a new field of study, Titanicology, which examines the historical, cultural, and scientific aspects of the Titanic story. The film sparked renewed interest in the disaster and led to a wave of documentaries, books, and other media exploring the Titanic's history and legacy. It also sparked debate among historians and Titanic enthusiasts about the accuracy of its portrayal of the events of April 14th and 15th, 1912. In the years since its release, Titanic has become a beloved classic, and its legacy has only grown. The film continues to captivate new generations of audiences, and its themes of love, sacrifice, and tragedy continue to resonate with viewers around the world. Its impact on the Titanic story is undeniable, and it remains one of the most enduring and powerful interpretations of this disaster. As we come to the end of this episode, we are left with a profound sense of loss for the lives that were taken on that fateful night. The Titanic was more than just a ship. It was a symbol of human ingenuity and the relentless pursuit of progress. It was a vessel that carried the hopes and dreams of so many, and yet it met its tragic end in the cold, dark waters of the Atlantic. Through the stories of the passengers and crew who experienced the Titanic's final moments, we are reminded of the incredible heroism and selflessness that exists in the human spirit. The brave musicians who played until the very end the crew members who risked their lives to save others, the courage displayed on that night is truly remarkable. But as we reflect on the Titanic's legacy, we are also reminded of the mistakes that were made and the lessons that we must continue to learn from. As we honor the memory of those who lost their lives on the Titanic, we must also look to the future with a renewed commitment to ensuring that tragedies like this one never happen again. It is our responsibility to carry on the legacy of the Titanic by striving to create a world that is safer, more compassionate, and more just. When Walls Can Talk, the podcast seeks to uncover the hidden stories and forgotten histories of the places and structures around us. The story of the Titanic is a prime example of the importance of understanding the stories behind the walls of the places we inhabit. In the end... 
The story of the Titanic is a reminder of the fragility of life and the power of human resilience in the face of adversity. It is a story that has captivated our imaginations for over a century and one that will continue to inspire us for generations to come. Hello, everybody, and thank you so much for listening. This is Jeremy, your host, researcher, producer, and paranormal enthusiast behind When Walls Can Talk, the podcast. Thank you, as always, so much for listening to this episode, Iceberg Dead Ahead, The Lost Voices of the Titanic. It was a labor of love to put this together. Definitely one of the most intense that I've ever done before. Uh, If you've listened to my show before, I'm sure you can tell this based on the fact that I got so emotional while recording it. Never happened before, but I thought that it was important to leave that in and share those true, authentic emotions with you. Again, thank you so much for listening. Please make sure that you follow wherever you listen to podcasts uh, so that you can be notified whenever I release a new episode. Also, please don't hesitate to go to my website. There's a little pop-up window that you can enter your email address to be added to my weekly email blast. If you haven't noticed, I have been regularly updating the Talking Walls blog. I believe there's there's about four or five, maybe even six blogs up now. So each week I send out an email announcing and sharing whatever the new blog topic is. I also send out emails letting you know whenever a new episode is live, uh, whenever new merch is available, uh, new readings are available, my tarot books are open. Any of that kind of information will all be shared there. I also am still in the process of developing the When Walls Can Talk newsletter called The Spirit Box. So that will be delivered to the email list as well. So make sure that you are subscribed if you would like to be updated on those uh, exciting new things, exciting new releases. Speaking of which, I'm reaching out to all of my fellow witches, poets, writers, anybody who is interested in sharing anything about music, herbology, paranormal experiences. If you have something you'd like to contribute to the Spirit Box newsletter, let me know. Uh, you can reach me, Jeremy, at whenwallscantalktarot.com. As always, you can follow me at whenwallscantalk with underscores for spaces on Instagram or at WWCD the podcast on Twitter. That's at WWCD the podcast. Again, I just have to say thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this and I cannot wait to catch you on your next episode. All the love in the world. Bye for now. <laughs>